0: Welcome back to another episode of Better Than I Found It, the podcast, All Things College Golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor University. Today's episode will be a, uh, not a goodbye, but a see you later to one of the great coaches in college golf, my former assistant coach and the associate head coach at Baylor, Mikhail Barak-Andresen. Mikel has been with me for three years here at Baylor and has recently stepped away from the college game to take his family back to Norway where he grew up and uh, wants to raise his two boys, Axel and Anders, over there, and he and his wife, Hannah, are headed over there this summer. This uh, interview takes place uh, in my office and in his basement in Norway, so uh, we're together today for the last time as... As coaches, but uh, I know we're going to get to see a lot of Mikel through the years. He has family here in Texas; he'll come back and visit. But he does give a lot of really good perspectives on his coaching philosophy and on things that uh, he learned and, and and things he added to the coaching game while he was while he was in it for the last seven years total. But I hope I know you'll enjoy this. You've all known him if you're a loyal listener to Better Than I Found It. Uh, he's the brains behind this podcast. He's the uh, founder of this podcast. He's the one that encouraged me to do it, uh, but he's also one of the great coaches I've ever been involved with. So I hope you'll enjoy this listening to uh, Mikkel Beric Andreessen. Okay, better than I found it, listeners. We have a very special guest today, and you all know him quite well. He's been a, a major, major part of this podcast since this podcast was born three years ago. In fact, 151 episodes ago. Uh, it's Mikkel Barak Andreessen, my former assistant coach, the former associate head coach at Baylor. Uh, Mikkel, you're not in the United States right now. You're back in your home country of Norway. I want to give you a big welcome and a big shout out this morning. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks, coach. Um, you know, the podcast, I know all the ins and outs of that. I feel like I know all the ins and outs of you as well. You you know that you have a lifelong friend in me, and I would love to help you out with anything you can do. And uh, I love the program, love all the guys. So I'm excited to do this for you, and um, proud of everything you're doing, including this podcast. So I'm happy to be on it. Well, I'm just glad you joined me today. We both are kind of busy.
0: You're starting a new life and a new job, and in in your home country, I am in the middle of golf camp this afternoon 50 young kids running around on a on our range facility just going crazy so it should be exciting but I will miss you this week maybe more than most because you were a pretty calming influence at golf camp every year
1: I know you're going to be throwing some curveballs but I know you can handle it it was uh you know I've kind of helped you with everything leading up to it but I know some curveballs are coming your way that's golf camp right there it is.
0: You know, I was telling Sam Dossie on our team, who will be one of our players working the camp. I was telling him I've done 118 camps of three days or more. Some of them just, you know, morning camps where the kids come in, but five straight days, some of them, you know, five, five days over. And sometimes two and two and a half weeks of straight camp, 118 camps of three days or more. So I think I probably will figure this one out. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I never had to do the two-and-a-half-week thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was uh, it was. I'm more, I'm more a three-day guy when it comes to camp.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Mike Holder, when I got there to Oklahoma State, he had consecutive, two camps running consecutively. They had 110 kids in each camp, and about 20 of those kids stayed over for the second camp. They were two-week campers. But in those days, we didn't compress camp upon camp. It was like two and a half days in between. So for two and a half days, you had 20 kids who thought they ruled the world. And yeah. that was pretty intense. Trying to keep those kids um, in check. I've got a lot of good memories and a lot of nightmares from 30 years ago, but it's all good. Missing you this week, but let's talk and catch up for sure. one. But three years ago this week, you went to work for me at Baylor Uh it was, I know, a special time because you were coming back to your alma mater, but it was a strange time because it was literally in the middle of COVID, and you and I sat around for the summer and just brainstormed, and one of the brainstorm ideas you had was this podcast, which would never have occurred to me, not in a million years, so talk about the genesis of that. Why did you think it would be a good idea,
1: and, and
0: now you didn't know I was the streak guy that I am, so... <laughs>
1: Uh, I think I think I knew. I, I know you pretty well. You're, you know, you're pretty easy to figure out on some things. But, you know, you're an author. You've you would written the Better Than I Found It podcast. There wasn't really much in the space of uh, college golf, amateur golf. Uh, I think Ben with the Back of the Range does a fantastic job. I think uh, Golf Channel has uh, a podcast that I think is pretty good with Burkowski and. Uh, uh drawing a blank on he's he's a great journalist over there on um golf week but anyways there there wasn't much in that space and we didn't know if we had a season um and if there's one thing you are it's you're a hard worker and you're a consistent guy i know that we could uh do some things to kind of get creative with branding ourselves branding our program uh branding our guys and uh, again, we didn't know if we were playing in the fall, so, uh, your connections, your network, um, and my connections, my network every once in a while here and there, I just thought, Hey, this, this seems like a good idea. We can do this, uh, if we have a season or not, we can get people to hop on Zooms just like this, uh, former players, professional players, coaches, and it just seemed like a win, win, win. In my opinion, we get to learn something we get to uh, brand, you know, Baylor golf, our guys. Um, it won't hurt recruiting. It won't hurt the camp that you're holding this week. Um, in fact, you, you used to always have about 35 kids. The last last couple of years, we've capped it at 50 and maxed out. So um, it's kind of intangible, the, the things we have gotten out of it, I guess. Um, but it wasn't necessarily about that. It was about so many things and, uh, given back to our game in a struggling time and all that so uh, we've gotten a lot of good feedback along the way and that's been really helpful really encouraging and uh, there's at least 10 20 maybe even 30 episodes that kind of stood out to me and have been like I really picked up something there about golf about life or um, so I've really enjoyed it and um think it's been a good idea and you have definitely enjoyed it and you've kept the streak alive with your tenacity. <laughs> well, and, uh, and occasional
0: nudges from you. Coach, you would realize we don't have one recorded for next week, right? Oh, yeah, we don't do it. We? Well, so, well
1: <laughs> you know who it ends on, whose desk it ends on. Uh, yes. I, I've edited every episode. Now I've trained another guy, uh, Chris Berry, who's going to do it from here on out. I just don't have the capacity to do it in a new job in a different country and all that um and so and Brian Dolhide knew how to do it for the year he was with us but it was it was always on my desk so I like what I call the buffer and that's getting two three four weeks ahead uh in the in the can so we don't stress out on a Saturday or Sunday in between tournaments or when you're home with a family or something getting it out so I was always happy when we had that little bit of buffer in there.
0: Well, you've done, you did a great job. I'm glad we started this. Um, I'm glad you had the idea. But also, um, you mentioned you know learning things about life or golf or whatever. Every once in a while, there would be an episode and we'd finish the recording. Hey, see you later. Thanks so much. And I'd walk around to your office and you would just be sitting there. We both looked at each other. Wow, I got a lot out of that one. That was amazing. So there've been a lot of episodes that really stand out to me as well. I want to keep it going. The main thing is, it's been good for Baylor golf, but it's been really good for me as a coach to hear what other coaches say, to hear what former players say. To it, So, anyway, thank you for the idea. I'm thrilled that we're doing it, and uh, we'll keep it. I may have to have you on every year or so just so sure you know, we can kind of get an update on you and Axel and Anders, are two boys that uh, – well, let's talk about that right now. Your, your life has really changed in the last week since uh, the NCAA championship. <laughs> Now you're back home in Norway. Talk about and describe your life right
1: now. And where are you? It's been wild, uh, but I've been used to it the last few years. When you start a family, it's just a different uh, pace of life. And so you get used to things being a little wild. So right now I'm 30. I'm back in my mom's basement. So I should be cracking energy drinks and Googling conspiracy theories, but um, (laughs) haven't had much time to do that yet. Uh, I have traveled so we were at the national championship and i had to leave the national championship during our second round of uh stroke play and uh flew from phoenix got home at 2 a.m left the next day to houston my my uh, wife drove me there uh flew out with the dog didn't have the papers completely in order landed uh you know 15 hours later or whatever in oslo I was a little anxious, A, for the dog, and B, to get through. Got through. So now we're on Tuesday. Wednesday, met with the authorities here to uh, kind of report my move and all that stuff. There's a lot of uh, things that have have to go in order. Thursday, started my new job as a business analyst. Um, So I've started a job as a business analyst for a large company, uh, where I work in a unit of that large company and basically as a team uh, that's basically a numbers guy. And so there's a lot to learn there, but I'm here without my family currently. I'm coming back a couple of times uh, during these next couple months to spend time with them and also get some of our businesses in order. And then we are traveling over here in the middle of July together and the boys start daycare first of August. So, the last week I have been, uh, in Phoenix, in Waco here, I have started a new job. I have wrapped up my old job. I have, um, it's, it's been a lot. So, um, but all it, all is for good causes and, um, I'm so happy with how I'm leaving things in the States with you, with the guys, with friends and family over there. And, um, very excited to start here with the with the family coming over in not too long
0: so thank you for updating us on kind of the whirlwind tour you had over the last week but you know when you told me a couple of months ago that you know you were going to be moving back to norway and i think i briefly mentioned this on a podcast but i wanted to make a point of it today and then you were, you were able to tell the team in person. I allowed you, I don't know, you, you spent about 15 or 20 emotional minutes telling the team. Um, afterward, I went, I reminded the team, the decision he made today, yeah, that's going to, I mean, that affects Baylor golf for sure, because we're going to miss you. But you, you were just like, it was like a platform for you to show young men who are 18 to 22, when you have a family one day you'll never, ever, ever, ever regret making a decision for your family. And I know this decision was for that. So kind of give the genesis real quick before we move on to some other things I want to talk about in coaching. Uh, When you kind of came to the idea that, gosh, I'd really love to raise my children in my home country, that type of thing.
1: And the example you were for my team, our team. Sure. Uh, I mean, I appreciate you saying that coach and, um, I don't know, like with the guys, I I feel like we all get great connections and that's what I've really loved about this job is getting kind of personal. And so I felt like they deserved an explanation of why. So I was really happy that I got to tell them uh, before they heard it from somewhere else. It was hard to keep everything in order and tell the right people at the right time because um, you know, in order to move here, my wife and I made the decision I had to get a job, for example, uh, because for me to get a job, then we can start our immigration papers, which takes months and months. I have to get daycare. We have to get a living situation. We have to. So there were a lot of things that had to go in order, and I really wanted you to hear it from me, and the guys to hear it from me, and obviously Hannah's family, uh, our friends. So that was kind of stressful for me, but I, a big point was to kind of tell them why and um you know for hannah and i it's everything we we decide is a we decision um in a marriage and when you have kids it's uh there are compromises right and left and we've been talking about for years uh you know we've known each other a long time been together over 10 years and we've uh, had the idea of potentially come back to norway uh, in an effort to raise our kids here and have family life here as well uh you know, for a host of different reasons for them to learn the language. We like the independence and the school system and all those things. Uh, They would get a great education in the States as well and great family support. Um, So it's not a this versus that. It's more like a complete experience of getting to know my family real well, getting to learn the language and our culture and all those things. And so um, years ago, we kind of decided we would like to have our kids in the States. And coming home to Baylor was just the perfect spot to do that. We were closer to Hannah's family. Um, You know, working for you (laughs) was a treat for me. And, um, you know, sort of a lifelong goal to get to learn from you firsthand and get to contribute to my school, my alma mater, my team, Baylor. But um, we ended up making this decision over winter sometime because there are so many things that have to get into place that we wanted to move this summer. And I wanted to finish the season with with you guys. Um, And so what I told the team is the why is, um, you know, now is the time because our kids are young and I just really feel strongly um, and we feel strongly as a family that I need to spend more time at home. Uh, And that's really what I'm passionate about doing. I love my job in golf. I love college golf. I'm super passionate about Baylor and our guys are fantastic. But the nights away from home are really, really tough when you have young kids. And so when we made this transition, uh, where, where my longing for Norway and our idea for years is coming to fruition, I've decided to take a business analyst job that I've mentioned before, because I really need to be at home at night and I need to be a dad for a while. And i need to be a husband and removing continents and so we're making this decision for our family and to be together and for life to kind of slow down a little bit and for us to have this experience together and so i'm choosing to to take a job that keeps me home at night um, and so again i've absolutely loved what i do and love all the guys on the team and but the nights away from home are really tough and as a young parent, you feel guilt a lot of times and you feel, uh, that you don't, you're not there for your family as much as you need at times. And you also feel guilty towards the team because you feel like you're being pulled and distracted a lot, um, by kids and issues and, um, just not being wholeheartedly there all the time when something's going on at home. So that was just tearing away at me for, for a little bit. And, uh, That's why I feel really at peace with this decision. It's a great decision,
0: honestly. And and it reminds me of my podcast interview with Alan Bratton. And probably one of the most emotional moments of this podcast in 150 episodes was when I said, Alan, you know, you used to always sit in my office and talk about how torn you were because you wanted to be a great golf coach. He was working at his alma mater, but he was always torn as to what, you know what was happening to his children you know because he's away from them so much and i asked the question so alan i mean you know you always talk to me about that and he got very emotional i mean so much so that he broke down because it was like he always felt like he was sliding or cheating his his boys but he wasn't i told him alan you really didn't you gave your boys every bit of you that you could possibly give and i remember him just his emotionality with that so this is a big decision. And you made it, I believe, for the right reason. And you'll always be a Baylor Bear, so that that that'll never change. So,
1: sure, I re- I remember that with with Coach Bratton very well. Um, and I've you know confided in in you and other coaches, and I listen I listen to you guys that have been through this a long time. And I could definitely see myself being a coach for a long time, but I've just had this calling and had this feeling and my wife and i've been talking about it for a long time that i need to be with them a little bit more i need to be home um and it just coincided with timing of hey let's try this adventure of going home to my home country and uh, let's be together for a while and um you know i know that i will never regret any minute spent with my kids or spent with them um And so I'm really thankful that we get the opportunity to do that right now.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, So congratulations on a great decision, a great family decision. I hope a lot of young coaches are out there listening that are starting families. So let's talk about philosophy, your coaching philosophy, because I considered you one of the most unique coaches in college golf, extremely competitive guy, but really, really passionate about what you do. You pour your heart and soul into the player. I mean, it's like it hurts sometimes. I told a player one time who was who I was having conflict with, uh, we were having a meeting and he, he and I were back and forth. And I told him, I said, this is something you really don't understand as a as a player. The coach who really cares and loves his player, when something really, really bad happens, whether it was the player doing it, the coach doing it, a situation happening, it sort of carves away a little bit of your coaching of who you are. It's like, it just carves a little bit of you away and it hurts. It's painful. And so I looked at you as a coach that literally poured your heart into players. And that was one of the reasons it was an easy hire for me. Talk about your coaching philosophy as a young coach.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, thanks for saying that uh, coach and I think that's why I wanted to come work with you when I had the chance, because I think we really align on on that. I think we have very different skill sets in some parts and different strengths and weaknesses. But I think we align and I on on those things. And I really enjoyed playing for you my last year uh because of that. And uh yeah, I think it's right. I I um loved my job because of how close you get to the guys and um really feel like you can help them achieve something and grow on and off the golf course Um, and you do that by all different means right you do that by example you do it by communication you do it by constant feedback and follow-up and presence and so there's so many things but um, that's what I love the most about um, doing what I did is trying to be available, trying to be a resource and trying to be a guidance and and help um, those, those players uh, achieve things on and off the golf course. And so, um, you know, I like the day to day almost as much as as the competitions, like when we went to play. Um, I'm obviously a very competitive guy. I've done competitive different sports all my life, and it's what drives me a lot. But I really like the day-to-day as well. Uh, I like being out of practice, setting up drills or being at qualifying and talking to the players and seeing how we handle things and progress and all those things. Um, I also love tracking, um, big kind of stats nerd and uh, love kind of noodling with seeing progress and seeing if we can discover any patterns, inefficiencies in decision-making, things like that. So... I don't know. I think I've brought maybe a little bit Norwegian mentality to my coaching because I have background in other sports from here, uh, where uh, I really believe in thinking long term. Um, I think I've tried to help the guys guide them to set a path. You know, let's take putting, for example, set a plan that we believe in and how we're going to work at putting, think about putting and what routine and playing thoughts we're taking to the golf course set a path with it, put in the work, stick with it, and then track the progress over a longer period of time. You know, if the arrow is pointing in the right direction in our strokes game putting, or whatever measure we make, if it's performance drills at home, then let's continue and maybe uh, do minor modifications to our plan. And then if we have a flat curve, or even a declining curve, let's sit and talk about it. But let's not throw everything at sea once we have a bad day or once we have a bad break, because there's just so much variance in our sport. Uh, And so that's maybe one uh, main thing that's maybe a little bit different that I really try to pour into the program and into the culture. Well, it affected my coaching. I will tell
0: you that. Um, Head coaches that have been doing it a long time and who have experienced some success uh, fall into a trap. We, we, kind of fall into patterns and and somebody that's kind of, as you know, my personality, it's very simple to do that. And so you need somebody to jar you right out of that, if you will. And I'll I'll give one example. Um, We were struggling, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so team results weren't what we wanted. And I remember you did this in a subtle way. You never knew it affected me. And I'm telling you this for the first time. (laughs) So it was like you knew how I coached you. You knew how you thought I had been as a coach and my philosophy and whatever. And you saw me kind of heading back to a dark area, which was these results really matter. They matter so much that I just can't believe it. And you said, Coach, you know, what we really need to do as coaches is just make sure of two things for sure, that every player knows he's valued. We value you for sure. And number two, Baylor golf is a safe place to be. It's a safe place in every possible way, safe to give your opinions, safe to go confide in a player or a coach. And you said those two things to me, and it just jarred me into, he's right. That's that's what's really important. We'll get these results back. You don't even remember saying that to me, but you did. Or do you remember saying that?
1: I, I do not remember that. I I mean, we've talked. If, <laughs> if, if there was a fly on the wall, I mean – counting the hours there there's been a lot and your memory is a lot stronger than mine so i don't remember that i, I remember the topics for sure and the, they're reoccurring right we've talked about these things a lot of times but that's cool yeah thanks for uh, saying that i saw you open your book right there so you <laughs> jotted down in your journal well i was going back to my journal on page 235
0: of better than or stuff that works journal page 235 volume three so uh, that's where I <laughs> where I found that to confirm it. Um,
1: and what what volume are
0: we on right now? I'm on volume four. Uh, All right. Let's see, volume four. I just wrote uh, a story about Alan Bratton's freshman year at Oklahoma State that he told me one time. Actually, Mike Holder told me the story, and Alan confirmed it about uh, looking at scoreboards. And I, I wrote that story just this week, so that's in, that's in volume four. I'm a journaler. You know that. And it's like, it, it's important to me to write it down. And and I was able to go back to our conversation that you don't even remember. And I remembered it because I wrote it down as well.
1: So yeah, you're, uh, you're a savant on that. You're, you're uh, pretty impressive on those things. Those journals coach the stuff that works. I bet there's so many coaches out there that are like, Oh man, I'd love to get my hands on those. You need to, well, when you're done, you need to publish those things. And just retire off all the things, all the bitcoins you're going to get in for that stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm since you're a financial analyst, I need a little help just to make sure that w- what I'm doing for retirement one day is is good. You can help me out, I'm sure. Yeah, you'll be good. Okay. Uh, so it was once said. I'm going to give this quote. I've heard it a thousand times, but it said, "The assistant coach's job is very important." But the most important thing he does is make sure that the head coach remains the head coach. Now, that's sort of said in tongue in cheek. But so you've mentioned your coaching philosophy. I mentioned something I learned from you. And, that, that, and young, old coaches need to understand, hire an assistant coach that will teach you. Don't do all the teaching. It's like you did a lot of teaching to me just like that right there. OK, uh, your job was a hundredfold. You did a thousand different things here. But your main job is to make sure that head coach, really, he's thriving and his program is thriving and is doing well. So um, dis- describe, you've worked for three head coaches, Trey at Stephen F. Austin, uh, Greg Sands at Texas Tech, and me at Baylor. So I'm going to ask you to to describe in a serious way the best quality of each of those three coaches, but also in a fun way, the three really best quirks that each of them had, things that are like that only the guys inside the program would know
1: Mm. okay go uh well let's start with trey schrader i think trey's best quality is just his relation to people i mean he's a very friendly guy he's very um on your level you know he's not talking down to anybody he's he's very uh good socially and builds good connections that way um and and I think that's you know what what draws players to there and um, yeah he's he's just a all around really good person good guy um, his quirk I mean that players will know like one thing I remember strongly about Trey that was very trademark Trey Schrader was to have um, he was on this kick where he was cutting out soda I think the year that I worked there. So he he would always get iced tea with a little bit of sweet, like unsweet tea with a little bit of sweet, but no lid, like never a lid. And he used to drive a Ford Explorer that I rode a lot in. Like we went, he taught me a lot of things. I was brand new in coaching. So we went recruiting together and stuff. And he always had this iced tea at the front of that Ford Explorer in a very flimsy cup holder. Just no <laughs> lid, just kind of splashing a little bit here and there. <laughs> So I don't know if the players will recognize that. It's been so many years ago, but I I recall that about Trey. That's kind of maybe a little trademark. Uh, Greg Sands, oh my gosh, I have so many things. I mean, I just know Gregs so well. Best quality of Greg's is his competitiveness combined with his intuition. He knows what to say at the wrong time, and he knows how to read the room like no one else I've ever met. Uh, He will know where his players are at mentally, you know, if they're a little bit off, if something, if he needs to pull them uh, to have a conversation about something and he never has a plan, just kind of goes off his intuition. He's just incredible at it Uh, and super competitive. So if he feels like, hey, they're like, like at the Big 12 championship this year, Uh, I don't know how many noticed but he sent out Ludwig in his five hole like in the five man and Ludwig's the best player in the world he's a PGA Tour player now but he just put that lineup in the day before because he's like hey I just feel that I need him out in the first group because the wind is going to pick up throughout the day and I want my best player in the best conditions and he's like that with recruiting uh if we're going down you know Trying to get a certain recruit, his mind will absolutely be on that and think very creatively. A very smart guy with that, but he'll have a thousand unread emails in his email inbox. Um,
0: <laughs> How many do I have
1: in my inbox? You you have zero at any point in time. You at are any point time. you are a linear worker. Uh, he is very nonlinear, uh, but a quirk, man. There's so many. Um. But yeah, but maybe that one that just the email just builds up and and he'll say, if they really need me, they'll call me. <laughs> um, so maybe that one. You, you have too many quirks. I don't even know which one to pick. Uh, your best quality coach, you have so many and you say you have learned a lot from me, but I've definitely learned more from you. Um, maybe your two most impressive qualities to me, is your hard work combined with um, your um, heart, I guess, or your your uh, intention with your work. And we all fall short, but your intention is pure all the time. And it's pure uh, for our players and for Pam and for everybody else around, for other coaches. If you're a coach that has ever talked to Coach McGraw, you will know this. Coach McGraw's intention is pure, and I think that is a really rare combination that you have because you are probably the hardest worker that I've seen as well. And usually hard workers are, are no down people that get, get it done, type A people. Um, but you have a very unique combination there that I really, really admire. Your quirks are just never-ending. Um, mm-hmm. I think the You know, everybody's heard of Coach McGraw on the gauntlet or his ice cream eating or the buffer in time that you're always 12 minutes early at least or whatever. But I think you don't really know how quirky Coach McGraw is until you have ridden up front in a sprinter van up I-35, up and down the Kansas a few times, which I have done, a 10-hour ride. And I think your, your quirkiest quirk is probably the, hey, that used to be Steakhouse. I mean, just everywhere up that I thirty-five, it it would be the best drinking game in the world. Just listening <laughs> to Coach McGraw going I thirty-five. Oh, that used to be a steakhouse. Just a rundown house. I I would Mike Holder there in nineteen ninety-six, and such and such person was there, and he ordered such and such. Oh, that over there used to be a steakhouse too. I think the over under on amount of steakhouse on I thirty-five through Oklahoma that used to be a steakhouse must be set at at least 20 uh, and then we're in the ballpark so i think that's your most the most coach McGrawst quirk of all the quirks is probably that one okay well i thought you might say uh i don't wear shoes
0: in the office
1: because <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: i do not if i could go the rest of my life without shoes i would do it there's just too many that's that's low down the list okay all right so i've got a list there's no doubt about it um Okay. Thank you for talking about your three head coaches that you've worked with. Um, I I think it's really impressive. You've talked about Greg Sands and his intuition and reading a room and reading people. And it's something I've been very intentional about getting better at because I think that's a blind, that has been a blind spot in my career. It's like, I just go on with our plan and here it is. And not realizing how it's affecting a kid or a player or even you, it's like, I, I need to, read people better and i think i'm doing better now partially because of the the things you said you mentioned it many times about greg so i kind of wish i could go be a fly on a wall in his office someday and just kind of listen to what he's saying you know that's another great thing that came out of this podcast truly and i hope continues to go forward because we've had tons and tons of coaches i don't know how many yet but a bunch and it's almost always they they something leaks out about their coaching philosophy that's really special, that's like really good. And you're going, golly, I'm glad I heard that. Yeah. So thank you uh, for that on Greg Sands. It's made a difference in me. All right. You have a new competitive venture that started about three years ago, and that is running. And I, it's not like you compete 20 times a year in 20 races, you don't, but you do try to compete two or three times a year. And since you've been at Baylor, I want, I want you to talk about the similarities between being a competitive runner, which you told me you were a seven handicap, but you're way better than that. You're you're like a, you're like the club champion, the country club club champion of runners. Uh, but running versus competitive golf, I used to be a runner and I only envied one. Now I envied a lot about you, but I only thought one thing on a daily basis that I wish I could still do. And that was run as you are running now. And when I was 30, I was a runner. I was still a runner. Talk about competitive running versus competitive golf.
1: Yeah, it's just started kind of as an outlet for me to, I wanted to take care of myself a little bit better. And we just had a child and, you know, I needed some air here and there because in our profession, as every coach knows out there, just how many hours you spend uh, in your job and then having a family as well. I needed sort of an outlet um, I've always been a fan of sports, staying in shape. I'm very competitive, like we've talked about. And, you know, living in Lubbock is kind of when I started, signed up for my first marathon. It was just an environment thing. Running is just the easiest. We spend so many nights a year on the road. You just bring a pair of running shoes. I mean, it's not like I could train for one of these ski races in Norway and bring my roller skis and pack up. It's just one pair of shoes, go. Uh, and so kind of in an environment that I was encouraged by Greg Sands, he was doing some Spartan races and some different things. So it's kind of an environment where I started thinking about it. And then I was like, hey, I'll just sign up for a marathon. Um, and it kind of grew from there to where I got competitive and try to beat my time. The first marathon I ran was right before COVID, uh, where I ran a 328 and um, then the world shut down and i kind of took my training to a new level because we didn't travel as much got a running stroller and i've absolutely nerded out on that i've tagged it on this running app as a certain shoe so i've actually got about 850 miles on that stroller now where <laughs> uh, axel is has uh, put in at least a thousand kilometers on on the stroller but No, it just kind of grew from there where I uh, started paying a lot more attention to it and, um, you know, balanced it with my work and my life um, and my family. But it's just one run a day, basically. Learned a lot more about the structure of how to improve, when to do intervals, when to do easy runs, long runs, how to combine it. Um, And so I think it has affected my golf coaching as well because it's a lot about Uh, load management like how much um, strain you put your body through and reading your body and what you need and how many miles you can put in and what intensity you can put in Um, but yeah I I ran then the next year ran a 258 uh, that's after I started Baylor so that was the sub three was kind of the big goal because that's a Boston qualifier and then I have ran one more full marathon which I blew up Um, I was injured and didn't have the best training, but kind of went for a 250 and blew up and ran a 302. That was a year later. And then I've had some other races um, where I ran a 120 half, which is probably the fastest and best race I've had. Um, And I think I will run one or two this fall as well. It just kind of depends how our transition goes. But yeah, I've kind of also sprinkled in some 5Ks and 10Ks. I've ran with Axel in the stroller twice. We ran the uh, Waco 5k the other day from the zoo in the stroller. There were 450 people and uh, finished sixth and Axel was absolutely livid because we didn't get on the podium. Um, and he, So he, he was furious that we didn't make the podium out of 450 people with a stroller, uh, but, you know, just kind of bringing my family along with it and, Uh, It's been a good way for me to stay in shape and spurred some thoughts about golf coaching as well, actually. Just doing something completely different and learning from another sport's been really healthy for me, and I really enjoyed it. I think it's also been good for our players to see somebody who
0: is passionate about an endeavor, but also an endeavor that's really good for you, keeps you in good health. One of the things that's different between golf and running that I noticed I was a cross country high school, cross country coach, and I ran for 20 years of my life. But when you start putting in the effort in running, those times come down. And now, now there is a little variance where you might not feel as well on a day, you don't get as good. But basically, training brings lower time, better times. Golf is not that way. I mean, I can train and do talk about that, because you've mentioned that to our players occasionally.
1: Yeah, you know, golf is just such a weird sport. It is more variance than most other sports it's probably the sport where the ball is in the air the longest which tells you that there's going to be more variance you know if you're the best runner and you toe the line you're likely to win the race that's not the case in golf you need to have a different sort of acceptance patience level and commitment honestly it's golf is the ultimate sport mentally in my opinion because you really need to have commitment to your plan and you need to have patience and acceptance while at the same time swinging aggressively i mean it's just the, the ultimate combination and a test but yeah running is a very physical sport so if you if you haven't uh, trained much you start running your cardiovascular is going to respond automatically and you're going to go pretty far until you meet sort of an infliction point or where it gets tougher to kind of squeeze squeeze out more uh, and get faster but golf is not that way but What we don't think much about as golfers, and some of the mistakes I made as a player, which I've kind of been open to our players about, is what I have learned from running because you can get injured really quickly in running. And so you got to take your time, adjust to um, the mileage, adjust to the intensity, and you got to have a balance to the whole thing. If I sleep poorly a few nights because I have kids keeping me up and we travel and all this stuff that's going to affect how I should train because you need to rest after you actually train. And I think we make a lot of mistakes in golf this way. Um, You know, if we hit our driver poorly one day, this, I used to do this as a player all the time. I used to go to the range and hit a hundred (laughs) drivers. And and, in all honesty, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. A, you're not getting much out of that practice session. B, you're putting your body in extreme strain that you don't really realize when you're 16. But we should be more conscientious about what we do as golfers. And we should have more of a sort of threshold uh, approach to training, in my opinion. Um, two days are great. There's a reason why other sports do it all the time. You have fresher mind, you have... Uh, recovery for your body in between. And we should probably have on our longer clubs and our speed training and that kind of stuff, we should probably have a threshold and a plan for when we're doing things. Uh, Because the amount of injuries that I've seen in college athletics and college golf in my last six years at two big 12 schools has been incredible. We, We get injured all the time. And we talk about golf not being an injury prone sport but man there there's so many and there's a lot of things we're doing wrong and i don't have all the correct answers just because i'm a midlife crisis runner but it definitely has spurred some really interesting thoughts and at least probably nudged it in the right direction for our players or or the conversations we've had with some of the players
0: yeah i i agree with you there for sure and i also agree that uh training in golf has changed. So, and, and if you're not careful, you can do things that will affect you long-term in not a good way. So I would say to anybody out there wanting to really get in shape for golf to, to go seek wise counsel, get somebody who's an expert and be careful as you train as you, especially as you turn it up, you know, and and get more intense about it.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's crazy how many stress fractures we see in college um, kids and, like the L5 is really common. Uh, and what I've heard, which I, I don't know if it's factual or not, but the theory is that a lot of these stress fractures uh, happened when the kids were 14, 15, when they were growing, as well as when they were really practicing hard spending all day at the golf course, which I love. Like that that's the love for the game uh, and all that. And you don't really, it doesn't flare up um, at that age. And then you get into your early 20s and you're just taking planes too often and you're traveling and maybe the stress of school or whatever. And your body's just changing. And all of a sudden, bang, here we go. And it's just amazing how many players have that issue. And so there's probably something we do uh, very wrong in our sport. And that's from an injury perspective. Uh, But also, I think there's huge untapped potential about how much you can actually get out of practice by, for example, splitting up into two days, having more of a threshold, sort of structured plan on when to do what and for what reason and kind of have a balance to the whole thing.
0: Yeah, it also speaks to the importance of planning your practice and how you plan your training and how you taper as you get to a tournament. You don't hit more balls as you head up to the tournament. You don't hit 500 balls the day before you go travel, but those are some obvious things. So I think there's nuances. I think things are changing. Um, and I'm at a front row seat. I get to see elite athletes every every week or in my career. I get to see it. So it's great. All right, but I've got a few other things I want to tidy up before we finish, but I want to ask about a player you helped get to Texas Tech named Ludvig Ebert. Ludvig... Uh, somebody asked me at Nationals last week, you know, how does he compare with any of the co- players you've seen in the last 25 years? And I, I say, you know, I've coached a lot of really good ones. I've been around a lot of great ones. I've seen a lot of great ones. Ludvig, for for my and I have my reason why you're going to tell yours now. But I think he's maybe the best player I've seen in college the last 25 years. It beats the best I've seen since Tiger Woods. That's a bold statement. And there's a lot of great players out there. So there's not a slight on anybody. But I think Ludwig's one of the most impressive and mature young men I have seen at that age in 25 years.
1: What do you think? I totally agree. And I asked the question to myself all the time, how good really is he right now? Not that it matters. It really doesn't. It's just a fun kind of comparison because some of the things we've seen him do in the last year or two, and specifically the spring. I mean, we were out at Prairie Dunes during the Big 12 Championship and he shot a 63 one round and what did he shoot overall for the week coach was it uh 15 under or so yeah it was 15 under i believe i believe anyways i was out there for all those four rounds and i just didn't see that score that's like the first time i've really felt that way i just don't see that um and so i kind of i think it's definitely like the quality of golf he's played is worth at least top 50 in the world and probably a lot higher than that that's just a fun thought experiment. Ludwig's just a great guy. He's just a fantastic person, a uh, fantastic player. And he's so easy to root for. And um, yeah, I, I was part of the recruiting process. You know everything and every coach will know this. Everything you do is team effort. And so Greg Sands was really high on Ludwig. I was really high on Ludwig. And we uh, recruited him obviously together me being able to speak Norwegian um, and him Swedish the languages are so close we understand each other Uh, I think it obviously helped in the recruiting process especially when his family was there and all those things but Greg Sands has a great program great facilities great you know coach and personality so it's definitely a team effort on all parts and uh, I got to coach him his freshman year I remember walking with him all around at Isleworth. His fall of his freshman year, you know, he was a great player coming in. He was top 50 in the Wagger, and we knew there was something special about him. And it just kind of blew our minds when he actually got on campus, how he handled everything. But that freshman year, I believe, and I could be a little off, but I believe his strokes game putting average for the fall was a negative 2.5 to negative 3 somewhere. It was in that range. And those three rounds I walked with him at Isleworth, you know, Bermuda greens, Bermuda around the greens and all that is tough for kids like us coming from Scandinavia because we've never really seen it. And he definitely had one of those weeks where he had, you know, lost nine strokes putting or something. Uh, but he's a great putter and always been a very strong ball striker. And he has figured out a lot of things around the greens and kind of does it very simple. Um one of the things I love about Ludwig watching him play golf, and you guys should kind of pay attention to this next time is his routines, his pre-shot routines. There's not much wasted motion. He keeps it really simple. And I think I can't speak for him, but I think one of his keys is just simplicity, um, which leads to consistency very often. Uh, And an unsimple process gets pretty inconsistent uh, pretty often, but I'm very happy to have been a small part of his journey. I definitely don't take any credit for the way he's playing or anything. Um, he obviously made a great college decision and it, it fit really well. Um, and I'm just so proud to see how he handles people, how he handles all this, all these eyes on him, all the pressure. I mean, he's just so easy to root for and will obviously be a lifelong fan. He'll continue getting texts from me probably every week because he's going to play a lot of good golf.
0: Yeah, thank you uh, for that. And, Josh Ludwig, thank you for the example you were, you know, for four years in college golf. is pretty amazing. And I, I'm a fan, and I'm going to be a fan watching him uh, as he plays professional golf. Your best advice, Mikkel, for a 14-year-old who wants to play college golf, not just a 14-year-old Scandinavian, but just a 14-year-old,
1: what, what would you say to him? Yeah, my first advice, I mean, I I love this question. And um, I remember a year and a half ago or so, I made kind of a compilation podcast of all the advice people had given because I love this question so much. And it's a really tough one. But the first thing that, that just has to be above and everything else, in my opinion, is just enjoy. And so you know our game is supposed to be social college golf is a team sport which is the magic of college golf in my opinion because there's a social component and there's an identity component to tying yourself to a team and so just remain social within your sport um you know enjoy golf um if you enjoy competing do do it a lot if you enjoy um maybe that not quite as much yet you more enjoy playing with your friends please do that if you enjoy practicing more and maybe hanging around the chipping green and playing chipping comps with your friends please do that um keep the enjoyment and don't take it too serious too quickly um there's a balance to everything and so instruction is great um Getting more information is great. Uh, Getting more information about playing strategy, for example, or keeping stats, it's great. But the number one thing has to be enjoyment and um, do what you think is fun. Um, And things will kind of fall into place. If you have a passion for something, you will have the work ethic for that thing. You don't have to work at the work ethic. I'm telling you, Coach McGraw, I know you don't have to think about your work ethic very often because you love what you do and so just never lose what you actually love about golf and just do that a lot even if people tell you hey you're spending way too much time around the chip and green you need to learn how to hit four irons. well probably true but mostly have fun like at 14 i'd say have fun first then practice unbelievable advice
0: one of the more notable players i've ever been able to associate myself with is ricky fowler And I always, when somebody asks, what made him great? Why was he great? Well, and and you're seeing it right now in in Ricky as he's had this resurgence back to, you know, one of the better players in golf. He's certainly a top 50 player again. But I always tell him it's like Ricky plays every day like he was a 12-year-old who had just shot 39 for the first time on nine holes the day before. And if anybody can remember that, the first time he break 40 on nine holes, there's you can't sleep quickly enough you got to get back out there and try it again it's that enthusiasm and that love for the game he had it all the time and to tell as as your best advice for a 14 year old to enjoy it first practice later it's like that seems counterintuitive but it's not it's it's absolutely true enjoy it love it and and you'll play for the rest of your life for sure Okay, your best advice for a young coach. So this is a little bit different, and it may be the same answer. I don't know, but you're telling a 24-year-old coach who's just gotten his first job. What's What, what do you tell
1: him? Uh, that one's uh, maybe even tougher. I think if there's a young coach listening to this podcast, they probably have the passion for it. And so w- with my advice to a 14-year-old, I'm trying to sound like a wise guy here, just a young young guy myself but at all obviously when you grow into adulthood it becomes less fun i guess more less driven about about fun uh and enjoyment and more about you know kind of your you're trying to fulfill your passion and and your calling and those are usually coaches uh we do it because of our passion and our kind of feeling calling to uh be coaches and so um my advice is to really figure out what drives you. Is it the is it um kind of the day-to-day nerding out about different aspects of our sport or is it the competitiveness? But I think, and then don't be ashamed of like which which one drives you and really try and fire up under under which one drives you. But I think it always has to come back to the players and how you can connect with the players in the best possible way how can you uh, create trust between you and the players and to me it just the only way i know how is just to show a human side like to to every part of yourself and just be open and so if you're a really competitive guy i wouldn't be afraid of showing that to the players and getting in competitive situations and um show that strength that you have there but if you're more a detailed guy day-to-day I wouldn't be afraid to show that either and get get in with the players on your strengths there and communicate and show by example the day-to-day work that you put in but in my opinion it has to always come back to the players and connecting with them in your your own way and that's just time and it's pressure it's just, you got to be with your players and connections will form um, and then you'll know what to do from there. Great advice, Mikhail.
0: So to end and kind of summarize and and finish this, one, I want to say publicly to our very loyal listenership uh, that, you know, you know how many people, you've got all the nerdy stats on this podcast, but all those people that um, that are out there listening would need to know that you've been a very, very special part of our program. You've been very special to my career. I don't know how much longer I get to coach, hopefully a long time, but I'll never forget the time we spent together. So thank you for the three years you gave me and and four years, actually, because you were a senior on the team here when I got the job at Baylor. Uh, So thank you for all of that, that you added to our program. And we just want to wish you from Baylor golf, the, the very best. And you're always welcome back here in Waco.
1: Well, I, I know that, coach, and I really appreciate that. I, I have so many things to give as well. And um, you got me my first coaching job, basically. You were a, a very central part of that. I knew that I wanted to work with you because I was passionate about what I was doing. And I believe you're one of the absolute best. Um, and like we talked about, I think you and I align on some very core things, and so, there's so much I appreciate about you, Coach, and um, you know, you have a lifelong friend in me. I'd love to do anything I can for you when when you need me. You know that. But I I have a lot of other things to give too, which, um, which are you know, they're they're a see you later, not a goodbye. But our our players, man, um, the last three years have been really special. All the alumni we had that have graduated during my time, all the players that are currently on the team, man, I'll I'll be following so closely and uh, lifelong friendships for sure. Um, and I the the three years have been really special and um, just a lifelong goal for me to get to coach at Baylor at my program. And then the last thing I want to mention is just the coaching community. It really is a great fraternity out there both on the women's and men's coaching side and um that's one of the few like we don't speak about it very often but the friendships we have with other coaches across across the fairway those are really cool as well and i will really miss those Um, but i know that um, i'll see everyone again have friendships that will last there as well Um, and i've been joking with with a few coaches i really need to get with the norwegian federation here and really Uh, argue my way to getting another European voice or something so I'll see all you guys coming over here to recruit I really need to make that happen but hopefully we can make that happen and I'm I'm sure I'll see everybody somewhat uh, soon you will see us again I know that for sure
0: and and I know you'll come back and visit family in Texas Uh, Hannah's family is here and know you'll be back so we look forward to that reunion and again one final thank you Mikel it's been great Uh, Have a great summer and uh, get your family
1: back over there. You got to get them back over there to Norway. Well, uh, we'll get it done, coach, and we'll see you soon. Sick and bears. Sick and bears. Thanks, Mikhail.